As we prepare to open God's word together, let's ask him to bless it to us. Let us pray. Father in heaven, one thing we have asked of you and that we will continue to seek after, that we may dwell in your house all the days of our life, to gaze upon your beauty and to inquire in your temple. So hear us, O Lord, as we call to you. Be gracious to us and answer us. For you have said, seek my face, and our hearts say to you now, your face, Lord, do we seek. Please do not hide your face from us, but reveal it to us in the face of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Teach us your way, O Lord, and lead us now on a level path. For we ask all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Please be seated. And please turn with me in God's word to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, not to try to preach Reverend Eustace's sermon, I decided to preach one of my own. Um, So Luke chapter 2, and we're going to read from verses 21 to 38. So Luke chapter 2, 21 to 38. This follows obviously the birth birth announcement from Luke's gospel that we considered last week. So chapter 2, beginning at verse 21, and we'll read through verse 38. Let's pay careful attention for this is God's own word. At the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons." Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts of men, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was eighty-four. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Thus far, the reading of God's word, may he bless it to us. This is a post-Christmas passage for a post-Christmas Lord's Day, um, a fitting passage to contemplate on the last Lord's Day of the year. Um, We often read and meditate as we did last week on Luke's account of the birth of Christ near to Christmas, so we might be reminded of what a glorious event the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ uh, truly is. And this is what follows that, 
uh, in Luke's gospel. And we sometimes go there as well following Christmas to kind of continue the story, to continue what happens to Jesus and to his family. And this is a monumental event of Jesus coming to the temple. Um, we might not think of it as a big event to be to have a baby brought to the temple. That was something that Israelite families did as a regular basis. But Jesus is not just any baby, as has been made clear to us um, already in Luke's gospel. This is the Christ, the promised Savior who has come into the world. And so when he comes to his temple, it's a big deal. And just as Luke re- wants to record the history of the event of the birth of Christ and make sure we understand what a big deal it was that Jesus was born, so also Luke recounts this story of Jesus first coming to the temple um, and recounts for us what a big deal that was, um, the significance of this event as told uh, through the witness of Simeon and Anna to us. And so we want to think about this wonderful event of Jesus coming to the temple and the response to this wonderful event. And so we see people in this passage doing three things that we want to draw our attention to. Uh, people in this passage first are waiting for consolation. Uh, they're waiting for consolation. Secondly, we find them celebrating salvation uh, that has come in Jesus Christ. And finally, prophesying redemption. Um, and that's what we want to think about as well. This is a wonderful passage in many ways as Jesus comes to the temple and we find people there who are waiting for consolation. And even as Jesus comes to the temple, we're reminded that the parents are bringing him to the temple to do the things that are needful according to the law. Uh, Paul makes a point of saying in Galatians that Jesus was born of a woman born under the law. And even Jesus as a baby who has no power over keeping the law himself, we see he has parents who keep the law as is required of them um, as it respects Jesus. So they have him circumcised on the eighth day, which was in accordance with the law of God. We have him coming to the temple and being brought there for two primary reasons. Uh, First, for Mary's purification. We know that according to the Old Testament law, you became unclean through childbirth. It was not a sign that there was something wrong with childbirth. It was just like any kind of shedding of blood required a ceremonial cleaning. And there were laws according to the Old Testament rules about how one became clean. Um, And so that she had to observe 33 days of purification um, after the birth, after the circumcision. And so they're coming to the temple probably about 40 days later. Uh, to make the sacrifices required for her purification. The law specifically offered uh, that she was to bring a burnt offering and a sin offering so the priest could offer them for her atonement so she could be made ceremonially clean from her flow of blood. Um, This was a reminder to God's people um, of the cleanliness standards that the Lord had. So one of the things that the law did over and over again is remind God's people that we need purification. And how does purification come? It comes through sacrifice, uh, through a burnt offering. That's how atonement is made. Um, And so this was a reminder constantly to God's people. How are you purified by the sacrifice for the atonement? Uh, The nature of the sacrifice they offer, the description of the animals they offer here, tells us that Joseph and Mary were poor. Uh, They brought the sacrifice of, of those who couldn't afford the bigger animals to be brought. It's a reminder to us that they were not people of great means. Uh, They were poor, but they were poor, but yet they were devout. They did what the law required, both for Mary's purification and also for Jesus' dedication. 
Um, we're told that Jesus had to be uh, dedicated, had to be redeemed when he came into the temple. Look with me at verse 23. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. Uh, every time you had a firstborn child, that child had to be redeemed. That firstborn son had to be redeemed. He had to be bought back. He was born holy to the Lord. He was b born belonging to the Lord. And that was meant to teach God's people something as well. We might say, now, now how did that work? What, what was that supposed to teach them? Um, and Exodus 13 tells us what that was supposed to teach them. In Exodus 13, verses 14 and 15, we read, And when in the time to come your son asks you, what does this mean, this redeeming of the firstborn? You shall say to him, by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. Therefore, all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It was a reminder that the Lord had protected his firstborn by the blood of the lamb, by the blood of the Passover lamb, that they were holy to him. And so offering a sacrifice to redeem them, to buy them back from the Lord, was a reminder to them of how the firstborn of Israel had been protected by the Lord, had been made holy to him by the blood of the lamb. And so even before anything else is said and anything else is done in this passage, we have powerful reminders of God's people's need. Their need to be purified. Their need to be redeemed. The reminder that that can only happen through sacrifice. That the redemption of Israel happened at the Passover by the blood of the Lamb. Um, and that must happen by the blood of sacrifices. So even before anything is said or done in this passage, we have this reminder to God's people that we are unclean and in need of purification. We're in need of atonement. We're in need of redemption. There are all these needs that God's people have and that they've been waiting for the one who could truly satisfy the demands of the law and make them not just ceremonially clean, but truly clean. Uh, not just make an atonement for little parts of the law, but make an atonement for all of their sins, who could really redeem them from their slavery to sin. All of these were constant reminders in the law of what Jesus would come and do. And so it's fitting that we have these reminders as we find someone in Jerusalem who is waiting for the consolation of Israel. As Jesus comes to the temple, we have reminders of God's people are in need and are waiting for the one who can meet their needs, who can do for them what needs to be done for them. And so Luke directs our attention then to Simeon in verse 25. Uh, Simeon, who we're not told much about. There's, there's much speculation been made about Simeon and who he was and what he was doing there. Um, Luke tells us none of his particulars. There's just a man named Simeon. Um, Luke, as a historian, doesn't give us many of the historical details of who this man is. He's not focused on who he is from a, a worldly point of view. His focus is solely on his spiritual condition. All the details were given about Simeon are about his spiritual condition. Uh, there was a man in Jerusalem, verse 25, and this man was righteous and devout. Righteous and devout. Um, that's one of the best things you can say about an Israelite at this time. Righteous and devout. It meant he lived the law according to his neighbors. Not only did he know the law, but he lived it out 
according to how he related to people. Remember, it was a mark that Joseph was a righteous man when he heard that Mary was with child and he was willing to divorce her quietly, not put her to a public spectacle. That was a sign that Joseph was a righteous man, that he knew the law and he knew the spirit of the law, that he didn't want to put Mary through a public humiliation as would have been his right, but he was going to just quietly set her aside. It showed that he was a righteous man. He understood how to live the law and love towards his neighbor. That's how Simeon is described to us, a righteous man who lived out the law and the spirit of the law in love to his neighbors. Not only righteous, but devout. It means he was committed to his piety, careful about his devotion to God and doing the things that God had required of him. And we're told that the spirit, the Holy Spirit was upon him. Um, This is a a sense in which the Spirit had come to abide on him in a particular and special way. So we're told that he was righteous and that he was devout and that the Holy Spirit was upon him. But then we're told something else about him, that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. That is his spiritual character as well. He is waiting for the consolation of Israel. Um, what, does that, what does that mean in technical terms to talk about someone who is waiting for the consolation of Israel? Well, it was long believed by God's faithful saints that God was coming, that he was going to send his Christ, that the Christ would come and be the great redeemer, the great king that God's people were looking for. And it had long been pieced together from the prophets that he would come particularly in a time of great need, of great suffering. And so God's people at this time had begun to think in terms of when the Messiah comes, there will, he will be preceded by a time of great suffering before he comes. And when he comes, his coming will mean the consolation of his people. That he will come to us in our suffering and in a particular way console us, comfort us in our suffering. Um, and that became one of the ways of expressing their messianic hope. That someday the Messiah will come and he will be the consolation of Israel. He will come to us in our suffering. He will come to us in our moment of need and he will take away all that we suffer. He will console us. He will comfort us as only he can. And in this time as the Romans were oppressing them and they were dealing with the imperial oppression of Rome and the particular oppression of of Herod and the Herodians who were nearby and ruling over them in an an afflicting way. So they have King Herod, they have the Romans, they were feeling every bit of being pressed upon. And so as they were being pressed upon in their suffering, that for some heightened this sense of maybe this is the time of the Messiah's coming. And so all the faithful, in a sense, who were looking for Messiah to come, who were hoping for Messiah to come, were thinking of it in terms of that hope. Here will come one who will comfort his people. Here will come one who will console us in our suffering, who will bring to us the relief that we so desperately need. And so like all of the faithful, Simeon was waiting for this consolation. But unlike most of the faithful, his waiting was somewhat unique in that he's been given a special revelation by the Lord. And what is the revelation that's been given to him? We read that in verse 26. 
It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So everyone else is waiting and hoping, but he's waiting and hoping in a very special way. Because he knows from the Lord that he will not die before he's seen the Lord's Christ. And I want you to put yourself in Simeon's position. Put yourself in his shoes for a minute. What would that be like? Imagine you had a special word from the Lord saying, you're not going to die before the Lord Jesus returns again in glory. How would you live your life? I think you'd live your life in a sort of constant state of intense hope and longing. Um, Because you'd always be asking the question, is it today? Right? If you knew that for certainty from the Lord, one of these days I'm going to see it. Um, How would you live? You'd live with that sort of intense longing, but it would make almost every day a disappointment in a certain sense. That Every day that went by where it didn't happen, you would say, oh, it wasn't today. Maybe tomorrow. I would have loved to just be around Simeon for a while and just see how he lived life with that sure knowledge. I mean, he must have just jumped out of the bed every day saying, maybe today's the day. Um, And maybe he went to bed with a certain amount of disappointment every day that today hadn't been the day. And I don't know how many days he lived like that. Um, But think of how that just intense longing would have been built up in you to want to see this great day coming. What a great blessing to know this, but what an intense lifelong seeking this must have created in him uh, to know this and to be waiting for that day. And I think we should be able to put ourselves a little bit in his shoes because we're in a somewhat similar situation. It's not been revealed to us that Jesus will come again in glory before we die, but he did say that he's coming soon. Um, The time is short, the book of Revelation says. Jesus says, I'm coming soon. Does that create the same intense longing in us? Do we spring out of bed every day saying today is the day? Or do we take a totally different view of life? I'm not trying to make us feel guilty on the last Sunday of the year. But you see how this can, I mean, I am a reformed minister, but that's not always what I'm trying to do. Um, it's not to feel guilty, but we, have, we, live, we should live as people who live in hope. You know, I, I kind of come to the end of every year and beginning a new year, always hoping that we won't begin another year. That this will be the last That the Lord will come again in glory. Some Christians are going to be alive to see that. And we know that the time is short. That's a great blessing. We should live in a sense of intense longing that that's true. And what Simeon should give us a lot of hope is that he was waiting for this consolation. He was waiting because the Lord had told him he would see it. And one day his faith became sight. One day he woke up and the Lord took him by the Spirit to the temple. And told him, today is the day. Today is the day. The Lord's Christ has come. He's here and he's come to his temple. And I don't know how Simeon lived, what he expected to see. And I don't know, as as he came to the temple and the Holy Spirit revealed to him, here is the Lord's Christ, if he expected the Lord's Christ to be a baby 40 days old. Um, I don't know if that would have been a downer for him. 
I don't know what he had built up in his mind's eye for what the Lord's Christ would be like when he saw him. Uh, But we know that it wasn't a downer for him by how he reacted. Because he immediately goes to celebrate the salvation that's come. There's no doubt in his mind that this is the Lord's Christ and what the coming of the Lord's Christ means. And he celebrates salvation. He celebrates with a glorious song of praise. Um, And what does he say? Blessed be God. Blessed be God. He blessed God. That's, That's how he begins his song. He's offering to God a prayer of thanksgiving for fulfilling his promise, for letting his faith become sight and seeing the salvation of his God. He's thankful because God has fulfilled his promise to Simeon. He's done as he promised for him. He promised that you would not see death until you'd seen the Lord's Christ. And now he's seen the Lord's Christ. And what does he say? Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. This is all I need. That's what he says. This is all I need. I've seen everything I need for the rest of my life. I can go now in peace. I'm ready to go. I don't need anything else. That's it. I can depart in peace. That's a remarkable thing to say. It's a remarkable way to live, to be able to depart this life in peace. It's a wonderful thing to see that in the lives of saints who are ready to go. We've seen that, sadly, from our perspective, uh, from a couple of our saints recently. But they died in peace. They were ready to go. And why were they ready to go? Because they'd seen the Lord's salvation in the face of his son. That's what Simeon says. I'm ready to go. Why? Why am I ready to go in peace? One commentator said, what delivers us from that fear of death which enslaves so many people? There is only one answer to that question. It's verse 30. For my eyes have seen your salvation. My eyes have seen your salvation. I've seen your son and to see him is enough. I've seen the Lord's Christ. To see him is enough. I've seen your salvation because I've seen him. I'm ready to go. I can go in peace knowing that the salvation of the Lord has come. What a wonderful thing that he confesses. What a wonderful reality in which he lives. That he's ready now to die in peace because he's seen the Lord's salvation. He understands that this baby, not yet two months old, is the salvation of the Lord. Uh, That he is as good as saved because the Lord's Christ is here. Here is the one he's been waiting for. Who will bring consolation. Who will bring comfort. Who will be everything God's people need. Purification, atonement, redemption. Here he is. He celebrates the salvation of that has come. And he celebrates that this is not just a promise fulfilled for Simeon, not just a promise fulfilled for this man who is waiting in this unique way, but this is the fulfillment of salvation for all who are waiting for him. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. 
Um, it's sort of universally agreed that when the angels announcing Christ's birth had said, this is the glory that will be for all the people, they were specifically talking about Israel. That they were particularly pointing to the glory that Jesus meant for the people of God, for Israel. And Simeon now, under the influence of the Spirit, expands that promise and said, he's not just the glory for this people, he's glory for all peoples. He's the Savior of the whole world. He's the salvation of all people. You prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles. Simeon was not a Gentile. But he knew that the coming of the Lord's Christ meant the salvation not just for the Jews, but for the Gentiles. It's interesting that he as a devout Jew waiting for the Messiah coming to save Israel would begin with praise for God's coming to save Gentiles. But he glorifies the Lord not only for the salvation that would be glory to your people Israel, but the one who would be light for revelation to the Gentiles. Here is the Savior of the whole world, not just the Savior of Simeon, but for all who believe as Simeon believed. Therefore, he's celebrating not just that the salvation is for him and for people like him at his time, but for us all. He's celebrating the salvation that has come for me and you in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. The child that was glory for Simeon, a believing Jew, is also light for all of us who are believing Gentiles. It's the same glory. It's the same salvation. And both of us and all of us are saved by faith in the Lord's Christ. Because by the, uh, by the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit, our eyes have seen the Lord's Christ. And seeing him, we've seen salvation. That's what's being celebrated here the salvation of God's people. And then there's the prophesying of redemption. It doesn't just end with salvation, but we have the prophesying of redemption. We finally hear a prophetic word spoken. And this is a very significant event too in the life of God's people that there are those who begin to prophesy again. Because if we think about the time in which uh, that Luke is recording here, the history this time, what are we what are we reminded of? We're so used to hearing about prophets reading through the scriptures. There's many books written by prophets. There's many prophecies that are made in the scriptures. But what was true of this time in history? The voice of the prophets hadn't been heard in centuries. Not since the time of Malachi had a prophetic voice been heard. Had there been prophets speaking a word from the Lord? And now they speak again. They prophesy again. The Lord speaks through his prophets to his people uh, once again. A prophetic word is heard in Israel, first by Mary from Simeon, and then by all the people from Anna. But prophets come prophesying redemption. And Simeon's prophecy to Mary comes first in verses 34 and 35. Joseph probably hears this too. Uh, he's there with Mary. Uh, Simeon blesses all of them uh, when he blesses them. But the word he speaks is directed and spoken to Mary. And what is the prophecy that comes? It's a prophecy of redemption, but it's a word of division. That this child is going to be a dividing line in verse 34. 
Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. We'll leave out the parenthetical for a moment, but what is this word that comes? Jesus is going to be the cause of the rise and fall of many in Israel because he will be a sign pointing to God and to his divine work. A sign that some will look to with hope and see as the work of the Lord come in the glory of Jesus Christ and some who will see him and be opposed to him, who will see him and speak against him. And that's what's meant by this this word. Jesus will be the dividing line that reveals the thoughts of the heart because either you're for him or against him. Either you see in him a sign of the Lord's work and you come to him in faith and he is the cause of your rising or you see in him a sign to be opposed and to be spoken against, and he causes your fall. He will come and reveal the hearts of God's people. He will expose who people really are. That's what Jesus will come into the world and do. He will expose who is who. Um, He will be the cause of the fall of those who speak against him and oppose him, and he will be the cause of the rising of all who see in him a sign pointing to his Father's truth and saving purpose. It's a reminder that neutrality towards the Lord's Christ is really impossible. Um, That he will cause either a falling or a rising. He will be either followed or opposed. There's no middle ground. He will expose the thoughts of all hearts. And when people see him, and particularly the way he suffers on the cross, their reaction will show on which side they stand. It will reveal the thoughts of their hearts. And Mary is going to be one such person who is affected in a particular way by the death of this son. When she's told and given this word of devastation that a sword will pierce you also. That sword will pierce her not just as a mother losing a child. As hard as that suffering is. It will pierce her as a believing sinner losing a savior. It's the the sword that pierces her the way it pierces John and the other women at the foot of the cross who look to him in faith as the sign of God's glory and purpose and see him die. Um, It's the sword that pierces those who love him and believe in him because they will see in him a sign pointing to the Father's glory. They will see in him the hope of salvation, redemption, and they will see him die. Um, To see him suffer and die will be that sword that pierces all those who love him. But he is going to reveal who you are one way or another. There is no neutrality, and that's still the case today. And all of us must wrestle with that question. Who is Jesus to you? How do you think of him when you think of his life and death on the cross? Just as Simeon's word of prophecy is you can't be neutral towards him. It's falling or rising. It's loving and serving or opposing and speaking against. And all of us have to come to that decision. And all of us are being warned against opposing him and rejecting him and falling. It's it's a word that's pleading with us not to be among those who are opposed to the Lord and his kingdom. It's a call to all of us to see in him a sign pointing to his Father's love, pointing to his Father's glory, 
that we might see him and believe in him and rise with him to newness of life and to heaven itself. We cannot be neutral. Jesus sets before everyone life and death and urges everyone to choose life, that they may rise and live with him. This is the news that Simeon presents to the parents, um, prophesying to them. And it's that same news that Anna then brings to all the people. Uh, She comes as a prophetess to spread uh, that good news to all those who are waiting. Uh, She's introduced to us in verse 36. Uh, Luke gives us a little more of her details about who she was. She was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. So we're told something more about her, um, probably because Luke was saying to anybody who was reading this in Jerusalem, you probably are well aware of who she is, um, because she's been around for a long time. And even if by the time people read this, she wasn't around anymore, they would say, go ask about her. She was well known around the temple. Well known just like Simeon for her spiritual condition more than those other facts because she did not depart from the temple worshiping with fasting and prayer day and night. Uh, She too is someone who would have been known like Simeon for their devotion to the Lord, uh, to their service to the Lord. Uh, One who was continually worshiping God uh, either publicly at the temple or privately Uh, by her fasting and prayer, day and night. Uh, That's what we're told about her. I think she would have been known to all pious believers as a devout and wonderful saint. And she, too, appears at the temple in this moment. Uh, In this great moment of the Lord coming to the temple, she appears at the temple. Um, And she comes at that very hour, we're told, and begins to give thanks to God and to speak of Him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Um, That was another way of talking about the Messiah's coming, that he would come to the city of the king as the great David's greater son and redeem God's people. It's a reminder there were many at the temple who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Uh, And that should be a comforting thought that there were many along with Simeon and Anna who were waiting for this news And she appears at this moment and she also begins to prophesy, but begins to prophesy of redemption to everyone, speaking to everyone about him, about the Lord's Christ who had come, who was the redemption of Jerusalem. And so whether you call it the consolation of Israel, the redemption of Jerusalem, here are two voices now calling out to God's people that that redemption has come, that consolation has come in the Lord's Christ. It should be a wonderful reminder to us as the church feels so small in this world. Does it feel small at times? And it's felt even smaller to God's people at other times. The church can feel very small in this world, and it's good to be reminded that it might have felt small at the time of Christ's coming, but there were many people who were waiting. Many people who were looking in faith for the coming of the Lord's Christ. And those people should bring us comfort. The commentator put it this way, God has a believing people even in the worst places and in the darkest times. Religion was at a very low ebb in Israel when Christ was born. Yet even then we find in the middle of Jerusalem, Joseph and Mary 
Simeon and Anna and all those who are waiting for the consolation of Israel and the redemption of Jerusalem. There are many who are waiting for the comfort of the Messiah and the redemption of the King. And he goes on to say, it is an encouraging thought that God never leaves himself entirely without a witness. Small as his believing church may sometimes be, the gates of hell will never prevail against it. True Christians in every age should remember this and take comfort. There are more Simeons and Annas in the world than we suppose. There are more people like us who are waiting and hoping in the Savior, who are living lives by faith, looking to Christ, and waiting for his return, eagerly longing to see him again. Um, And again, this should be an encouragement to us because their faith became sight. Uh, Their waiting was rewarded. And suddenly on a day they didn't necessarily look for, the Lord's Christ came to the temple. He had to be carried there as a babe in arms, but he came. Just as he had promised. That one we're waiting for who can alone give light and glory and consolation and salvation, atonement and redemption, he's coming. And just as he came once, he will come again. And we should remember that when our waiting seems long. We're closing this service and we're closing this year in the Lord's house. This is the last Lord's Day of the year. Another year has come and gone. 2021. 2021 AD. uh, The year of our Lord. 2021. We've been waiting a long time as God's people. Waiting a long time. Long time for consolation. That's a long time to wait for redemption. A lot of suffering that the church has gone through in that waiting. And it can seem like the waiting will never end at times. Or that we're just constantly living as if he's never really coming. And we talk about life that we'll live 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now. But this should be a reminder to us. One day the wait will be over. One day the redemption will be accomplished. One day the Lord will return as he promised, and our faith will become sight. Like Simeon, one day those of us who are waiting for the consolation of God's people will see him coming in the clouds. Like Anna, those who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem will see the new Jerusalem coming down with its king from the heavenly glory. So yes, another year's passed, and yes, the wait goes on, uh, but not in the same way. For as the Holy Spirit spoke through the Apostle Paul in Romans 13, 11, and 12, you know the time, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, and the day is at hand. May we live in the new year to come on that footing, with that intense longing for the Lord to return as he's promised. May that shape how we live. And by God's grace, may we be prepared to meet the Lord when he comes with faith and in that devotion that we might find in him peace and everlasting joy. Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for this message of waiting rewarded, of faith becoming sight, and the glory that came with seeing Jesus come. We pray that we would fix our eyes on Jesus and look to him and see in him our salvation, the one who has come once to deal with sins and who's coming again to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. 
We pray that we might be prepared to meet him when he comes by faith and in devotion to him, that fruit of faith, that we might be ready to meet the Lord at his coming as Simeon and Anna were ready to meet him when he came. We thank you for that wonderful picture that we have of those who are waiting and have their waiting rewarded and to be reminded that the whole church who is waiting for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ will be rewarded at his waiting, at his coming. And Lord, we pray that none of us here would try to maintain a neutrality towards the Lord Jesus Christ, that we would be reminded that you have appointed him for the rising of many who will come to him and come to his cross. And we pray that all here might come to him by faith and find life in his name, might rise with him in an eternal life as he lives now and reign with him in glory as he's promised. So help us in these things. May we glorify your name, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.